We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Head. Joined with me by the man behind the numbers at Advanced Sports Analytics. It's Stuart Gibson, who, uh, based on last week, proved once again that uh, if you fade uh, the highest probability stacks, you probably lost. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what I do. But, hey, Stuart, Titans-Vikings. They put up 61 points. So I think we figured out why the why the total was so high. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. We were, we were talking about that when when you brought it up last week. I was like looking through kind of our early projections and wasn't like seeing Titans guys, you know, and I, I kind of quarterback is the first place I jumped to and like wasn't seeing Tannehill towards the top. And I just went back to our data and uh, I don't know, I must have edited like our file or something and dropped the last L from his name. So he, so he wasn't appearing in the data. And then I went back and fixed it. And like, sure enough, he kind of bubbled to the top as like, you know, top, top value quarterback. So so you literally took an L on it. Yeah. I mean, I did. And I played him in cash and uh, you know, somehow played Rex Burkhead in cash yet didn't cash. uh, How did that, how did you, how did, how did you manage to do that? I mean, I played Tannehill, uh, you know, Miles Sanders, I went Zeke instead of like Jonathan Taylor. Um, so essentially you missed out on Lockett, I'm assuming. Yeah, I missed out on Lockett, uh, you know, had Hopkins, had Thielen. Um, I went, I guess, Thielen instead of uh, Lockett. Uh, I forget exactly what their price differential was, but uh, yeah. And uh, played Giants defense, which didn't go well. Um, was thinking that. Yeah, I mean, there's no no one on San Francisco yet. They still managed to you know put up 36. Uh, that that hurt. Um, but yeah, no, that 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 Titans game got there. Uh, 
you know, it was mostly through Henry, as we saw, um, you know, passing game didn't, didn't quite get it going, but, um, yeah, it was funny. We were, we were discussing that and I, 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 we were equally, you know, befuddled and I was in, you know, even more so just because I wasn't finding, you know, any projection on Ryan Tannehill. And then once I updated it, sure enough, I was like, Oh yeah, okay. That, that was the game we talked about. And like, uh, well, the pieces you needed in that game were Khalif Raymond and Justin Jefferson. It wasn't actually the, the yeah. main players. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I think we talked about it on the show, like, you know, the, the Seattle, those, that three, uh, you know, three player stack of Russ Metcalf Lockett just correlates super well, you know, very projectable total, um, you know, and uh, fading, fading that hurt, um, you know, same, same thing. Could be said kind of the prior week with Dallas, uh, you know, Dak, Amari. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what we got this week. There's definitely kind of a diverse uh, mix of games that are viable candidates to really break the slate. So, um, you know, hopefully we can, uh, yeah, find find the right ones. And uh, maybe it's the top one or maybe it's, you know, third one. Who, uh, who knows? But uh, But I've never seen a slate like this because, I mean, last week, we had two games that were significantly higher total than everything else. Mm-hmm. We had the Seattle Dallas game. You had the, the Arizona game. Like now, I mean, there now there's only 12 games in the slate because the, the Steelers Titans game will not be played. Seven out of the 12 games on this slate have a 50 total or higher. So looking at early ownership projections that Jamino has, has had uh, on, on the Thursday, which obviously will get better come Saturday. Uh, uh, Jamino, if you don't know, if you're a premium member of uh, Roto-Grinders, he has his own show uh, with uh, Escott, with Scott Hansen, called The Ownership Report. So on Saturday, they go over and they tweak ownership because they both of them do ownership. And you could listen to that. And it's an hour-long show. Just if you're a cash game player, if you're a GPP player, it these early ownership projections aren't necessarily like the, what's going to be at the end, but that's a great show to listen to. So if you want to sign up for Roto Grinders Premium, rotogrinders.com slash media slash ASA. The link is in the description of the YouTube video. Uh, and you get uh, $5 off your first month of Core 4 Premium subscription, NFL, MLB, NBA, PGA. But uh, that's one, one, of, one of the... the, the unheralded shows we do a lot of premium shows that uh saturdays i always make sure to look at because ownership in gpps uh matters almost as much as meeting projection but based on the ownership that we currently have uh, there's to me there's no chalk game like they're chalk players but even like we have the highest ownership right now about 25 percent on alvin kamara uh, and that obviously will depend if, my, uh, if Michael Thomas plays, because that'll go down if he does. But outside of that, uh, I mean, there are a couple of underpriced players that may get some ownership, but nothing stands out as like everyone's going to be targeting this one game or two games. I mean, they may get a little bit more lopsided ownership, but I mean, I legitimately think there are there are probably eight games that are viable to stack on the slate. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you'd have to assume with with the wider mix of games that are stack viable, yeah, ownership will probably be down across the board. Um, but do you see in your? I know you do top 
stack type of projections currently. I mean, obviously with practice reports and the pricing changes and totals could go up or down. Uh, do you find that? Cause last week you showed that, you know, that one game was like far and away higher percentage than any of the others. Do you find is, do you find all of like out of like seven or eight games, are they much more closely condensed? Yeah. So like last week we talked about, and it's kind of one of the first things I look at is like, where is the cliff in terms of, you know, they're, they're kind of like bunches of probabilities and you're interested in like where the cliff is and where does there, where is kind of the team, the subsequent team, like a full, you know, percent, uh, you know, or one and a half percent less likely to be the top scoring team. And I think last week it was like at like three or maybe four, I feel like you know, maybe like Indianapolis was third. And then like after in Indianapolis, there was, you know, the next most likely team to top the slate in terms of you know, real uh, football points. It was like a full, you know, one to two percentage points less likely. So this week we currently have um, Dallas at 10%, Kansas city, 9.1. Rams 8-9, Seattle 8-4, Houston 8-2, New Orleans 7-5, Baltimore 7-1. I mean, so that is, what, seven teams right there. And then after Baltimore, there's kind of this drop-off down to Buffalo at 5.7. So that, you know, 1.4% cliff that I'm kind of describing, uh, you know, you, we don't get until seven teams down the, uh, you know, like implied total, I guess, scale or spectrum so, uh, yeah, I mean, far, I guess, uh, I'm not sure necessarily deeper is the right word, but certainly just more robust at the top of the, um, you know, point total scale this week than we saw in previous weeks. Um, so when you see kind of the like slate properties like that is your focus on, like, it sounds like last week, right, we had maybe two to three teams that were just like clearly you know, independent of any sort of ownership, like the preferred stacking options. And you maybe discuss like interesting ways to kind of get outside of that, maybe three to four team bubble. When you do have a bubble that's like seven to eight teams, are you more inclined to try to like find stacks that fit just like on the inside of that bubble, but aren't kind of at the top of the scale? Or are you still kind of interested in teams that are, kind of at the top of that implied point total scale, but just outside of the, you know, perceived kind of most likely teams, um, you know, I'm interested to just kind of hear like how the difference in, you know, just point totals across the board impacts your thinking about the slate as a whole. Well, for me, it's mostly leverage. Like last week, since it was so much ownership on those two games, like it, if I fade that game, I like I could just I could do whatever I want. Like the lev, I gained so much leverage by either last week fading Miles Sanders, fading the Kyler Hopkins type of combo, you know, fading not all of them combined, but just fading one of them. If I just said I'm just gonna fade the Seattle Dallas as a stack, like I could do whatever I want. Here, there's no clear, like, well, I'm gonna fade chalk this game. Like there's that I'm not gaining as much leverage by it. Like if I don't play the Browns Cowboys game and I play the Saints Lions game, I'm not getting like the difference between 18% on this and 12% on that is not as dramatic. So I'm more likely to, I'm actually more likely to get different at the one-offs 
on this type of slate than okay. the stacks because the one-offs could be chalky. Like I, the difference between like we may see uh, because they're underpriced. I think the, uh, the, the Panthers against the Cardinals, I think we'll see uh, fairly highly owned DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson, Mike Davis. Like I would, I would be less inclined to play those guys as one-offs and not care that much about my stack ownership. If Kamara is going to be chalky with Michael Thomas out, I'll be more like, I'll be more inclined to go under on him and play more Zeke as leverage off of Dallas stacks or play more David Johnson off of Texan stacks or play Kenyon Drake with some, maybe some recency bias or go down and maybe play a Dalvin cook instead of a Kamara, because I just don't think I'm getting uh, in large field GPPs enough leverage, but there's no, like I'm not looking at a stack that is so obvious that I could just fade that and then, make the best lineup. So yeah. I think my, my leverage points, I'm going to go primarily on pricing between those, you know, top seven to eight games and not I'm, ownership is going to be less important to me on stacks this week. Got does it. that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. Um, you know, I think last week we talked, like you said, a lot about ways to stack away from, the obvious games this week, it sounds like more willingness to have some shares of those obvious games, but get different in the, yeah, it make, makes sense. Um, right. Cause but to me, there's really no obvious games. I mean, I listen to shows around the industry. We have content at, at Roto grinders and it seems to be a mixed bag. Like you take a look at some and they go like, how do you not uh, let Russ cook? How are you not taking the Seahawks? And then some people are just like, well, Deshaun Watson has had, you know, bad three bad matchups. And now, you know, he's underpriced, fuller cooks, and like, how are you not taking the Texans? And then you have all well, the Dallas Dak's gonna throw the ball and the Browns, and how are you not stacking that? Like, I I don't see like one thing standing out. The Chiefs we have on this slate. Like, how do you know how are you not playing like Edwards Hilaire? How are you not playing uh, you know, Mahomes Kelsey type of thing? So when I when I see so many a, a disparate amount of opinions it's it's just a matter of how could i combine how could i make three plus ones how could i sometimes some of these you can make two plus twos uh how could i make them in a way where my one-offs are not also the chalk so like i can understand making like for instance if you make vomit stacks on this slate or cheaper stacks i don't think you're making vomit stacks but there are cheaper stacks in some of these in some of these uh, higher total games. Like, how am I doing that without playing like Zeke and Kamara in the lineup? Like, how am I, do- how am I doing that? Or would it be better to play wide receiver in the flex in that type of lineup? So I'm like fading one of Kamara or Zeke and I'm playing Lockett. I'm not playing a Seattle stack, but I'm playing Lockett as that player, a high-priced wide receiver as my as my flex spot. So from from the games that we have down, I mean... I mean, they have seven games that are 50 plus. And I mean, uh, the 49 game, I mean, some of the line movement is ridiculous. That Bengals-Jacksonville game opened at 44 and a half. It's up to 49 now. So a four and a half, I mean, four and a half points line movement is a lot. So like, I consider that to be like part of the higher totals. Uh, Less so on the Rams-Giants only because they're 13 point favorites. So it's a little less appealing to me. I I thought when, when you said the cliff, I thought the cliff would be on uh, 
on the Arizona Cardinals because that would make sense because that's where Cliff Clinsbury is. Uh, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're that's uh, where the cliff is. Why shouldn't it be where the Arizona Cardinals are? I mean, there is there is kind of I mean I don't know Arizona's four four point seven so full percentage point underneath Buffalo. Um, you know, so I, I you know maybe you could bunch Buffalo into that. Um, well, because when you when you do those calculations for like the highest team, mm-hmm. you're considering only basically a three man stack, right? So it's like quarterback and two pass catchers. But like you, when when you're stacking a game, so for instance, if you who who do you have? What team do you have as the highest probability of being the top scoring on the Dallas? Season? Dallas, yeah. okay. About- so if you're going to stack Dallas, that means you're probably playing OBJ Landry. Chubb, you know, so, someone on the Brown side. So it's not necessarily just like, do you, do you look at, well, Dallas has the highest probability. Do you look at what the probability of the Browns are or the Browns are not as relevant because you're just taking one correlative piece. You don't need the Browns to score 30 points. You just need one of their players to go off in a game where Dallas scores 35. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not factoring in the likelihood of the Browns topping the slate, but there are, properties of the Browns team that, you know, get fed into this model. So pace of the Browns, uh, you know, their propensity to pass versus run, uh, you know, the, the kind of depth of their passing uh, attack. Like these are Browns team properties that impact projection and simulation for the Cowboys, but it's not like I'm taking the Browns likelihood and somehow feeding that into the Cowboys, if that makes sense. Um, oh yeah. The thing that concerns me about this game is Nick Chubb and Zeke Elliott. It concerns me because, like, the Browns, if they, in this game, you have to expect that if they're, if it's close, they're going to want to run the ball as much as possible to keep Prescott off the field. And then if the Cowboys go up, I'm more concerned that they just feed Zeke 30 times. Like, I, I look at this game between two teams that have good rushing. And yes, it has a 56 total, but I'm viewing this game more from the aspect, especially with the stacking partners that you have to, for the Dallas, because Dallas, I mean, we had Cedric Wilson last week come out of nowhere. Like I'm less inclined. I'm, I'm more high in this game on Zeke and uh, a low priced, because the Browns uh, primary targets are under 6K. OBJ is 5,800. Landry's 5,100. Hooper's 4,000. I'm not saying that I would necessarily want to take Baker Mayfield, but I mean, I could because he's under 6K. I'm just, out of all these games, I mean, it's the highest total, but I mean, we have other games that are close enough to it that I'm just I'm just concerned that if the teams rush the ball too much, that, that I'm just not going to get enough plays. Yeah, I mean, I think we spend a lot of time talking about totals, but... Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth considering, like, how do teams typically achieve uh, those high totals? I mean, like, we spent a lot of time talking about Tennessee's total last week, and yeah, they got there. Um, it just wasn't in a way that was conducive, you know, to huge stacking. And like, uh, you know, Dallas has proven to be pretty, uh, you know, not concentrated, I guess, in the, in the last couple of weeks as far as where their production comes from. Um, yeah, and I think Cleveland has for at least the last, you know, year plus been 
sometimes hard to pin down whether it's Landry or Odell. And, you know, now you add Hooper into the mix, you got the two running backs. I mean, yeah, there are, it's, it's a high total game, but there's also lots of pieces that could be kind of the core contributors to that total. So, um, yeah, I think that's a viable point to call out. Um, you know, we're talking about these totals as, as if all teams are kind of created equal and are equal in terms of how they, you know, get to those totals and both, Dallas and Cleveland, you know, have properties that make it a little tough to feel super confident in, um, you know, the ways that those two teams might get to that high total. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting, you know, call out. Um, and yeah, I think one may all keep in mind, uh, come Sunday. Right. But I could see like, if I don't stack this game to play Amari on one side, play one, one Amari and then OBJ or do something like that. But, you know, I have to consider the stack as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I just think, I mean, it doesn't mean I, I don't play, it's just that they're expensive. Like the, the Cowboys stack, even without Zeke, you're playing Prescott, Cooper, Gallup, Lamb. Like some, like it just, it costs a lot. And it's negatively correlated with Zeke. Mm-hmm. So like if Zeke gets too much of the production, the stack is going to fail. It's not going to score high enough, especially on a slate where we have other totals. It's not like this game is 56 and then the next game is 48. Mm-hmm. Like we have 54s, 54s, 53s. So like I need, I need, I need all the production. I need mo- I need Zeke to have a bad game. Yeah. And so like if I, if I'm playing the stack, that means I'm not, I'm, I'll be light on Zeke, but I think I'm more, I think the Cowboys may be over-owned. No one's going to be that over-owned because right with everything's going to be spread out. But yeah, I just think with recency bias, you know, Dak will be a little overowned. Amari at home, because that's a narrative. Gallup after a good game. We have this narrative that, you know, like Lamb was hurt or whatever. Maybe his ownership goes down. Just that they have so many pieces. I feel like I need to get the pieces. I need to get two things right. I need to make sure that Zeke doesn't suck out production. I have to make sure that the Browns don't rush the ball 35 times. And I have to make sure that if that happens, I get the right pieces of the stack right where Cedric Wilson doesn't have two touchdowns out of the blue. I think that the confluence of all of those makes me lean to more towards taking pieces of the game and not stacking them. Yeah, I I agree with the kind of figuring out the pieces. I think that's a challenge. I mean, but I don't know. I don't think like Dallas is insanely expensive. I mean, they're the same price as, you know, Mahomes. Like I'm looking just like at, basic you know Dak Cooper Gallup same price as Mahomes Hill Kelsey with you know uh 10% higher you know one percentage point 10% you know more likely to you know talk the slate in terms of points like same price as that Kansas City stack you know cheaper than Russ Lockett Metcalf uh you know cheaper than you know if Thomas plays and you wanted to try to go like Breeze Kamara Thomas um you know cheaper than Lamar Brown Andrews um so you know, I look, it's not a cheap stack, but I think there are more expensive options that have more expensive stacks that have kind of at least, and, you know, at least per our simulation, you know, less likelihood of kind of putting up the most points. But um, some of those stacks that I did mention are like, you know, I, uh, you know, a little more concentrated than Dallas. So, um, you know, I guess in, in that regard, uh, in, paying a little more for kind of pieces of a stack, you are, you are buying a little more certainty that kind of the points 
the, the fantasy points, uh, you know, correlated with the real points will come through, you know, the pieces of that stack. Um, well, but that's the main reason why I like the next game, 54 and a half total Texans Vikings. To me, that's that to me, that's more towards the vomit stack vomit stack range because Watson is 6,600. Fuller is 5,900 and Cooks is 4,500. You got Cobb in there. David Johnson's under 6K. And, and when it comes to the Vikings, it's pretty much Cook, Thielen. I mean, now Jefferson's come out. You know, he's 5,200. Maybe he puts up a good game again. The pieces of this game are cheaper and it feels, it feels as condensed as the, the, at least of the Cowboys-Browns game. But, but I... I'm not, I don't have to pay nearly 7K for a receiver. So like pairing Watts, doing a, a, a stack like Watson plus Fuller plus one of Cooks or Cobb and then running it back with Cook or Thielen for the price at the 54 and a half total, it, it, I now have salary that I could have good one. I, I could play Cooper as a one-off in that lineup because I have salary. I could play Kamara Thomas if he plays. I could play Kelsey. I could because I'm spending down, I'm still getting primary receivers on the team. So like I, I'm more inclined, I mean, in, in this game, because the, the concern in this game is, exists the same because David, the Texans have had horrible matchups. Mm-hmm. I think David Johnson, if Duke Johnson does not play, if he's going to be in the backfield 95% of the time, like you could put him in the stack with Watson if you want, but are we have concerns that, well, what happens if they rush the ball too much? What happens if Dalvin Cook, you know, 25 carries? Are we going to get enough plays in this game? The, the thing that mitigates that is the price. I just I just think the pieces of this game are cheaper. So if it's not going to be that dramatically different from the Cowboys-Browns, like I'm much more likely to take take more pieces and more stack stack this game more than just take its pieces. Yeah, I mean, it easily like the best priced, uh, you know, stack of kind of these core teams. Like we have Houston as 8.2% uh, chance of scoring the most points on the slate. Uh, you know, Watson, Fuller, Cooks, seven, 17K to stack up. Seattle, just 8.4%, you know, barely better, uh, you know, than Houston. Russ Locke at Metcalf, you know, 21.6K, like, you know, four four and a half K difference, like, that's huge. I mean, the, the pricing on the Houston side, I agree, is the most intriguing. Um, the yeah, and, and I mean, I, I think this is you know a really good spot to stack. You know, uh, Watson has correlated historically really well with the production of opposing offenses. Like, if Minnesota can get going, there's a good chance that Watson is you know going to be able to benefit uh, you know correlatively. Uh, from that and, you know, or, or vice versa, you know, if Watson gets going uh, historically, it has, you know, pushed other offenses to kind of overachieve. Um, yeah. I think figuring out like which and how many of uh, you know, if, if you want to go to the Houston side, I think will be crucial. Like we don't really have many data points on kind of the relationship between cooks and fuller or fuller and Cobb. Um but, you know, looking back to 2019, like there weren't too many instances where the Houston offense supported multiple wide receivers achieving really strong games. Yeah, but they had Hopkins. Hopkins ate everything. So, I mean, that makes sense. It's just like the Packers, like when Devontae Adams is healthy, like they can't support more than just him at his price. So 
did, did, did do the Texans, the, all the stats that you have on the Texans with Hopkins, I mean, that he's an alpha alpha receiver. Yeah. It, it's kind of it, hard it, to compare that. It, it is a different receiving core. So I, you know, I, I do have trouble making sense of kind of what the dynamic is going to be between those pass catchers. Um, you know, another team we might talk to about later, you know, Cincinnati, just so few like sample that it's really difficult to kind of parse out what the relationship is between the pieces. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's an interesting kind of decision where, you know, you can decide to go, you know, two guys on Houston and go maybe two receivers or like David Johnson plus Fuller. Uh, you know, I think it's even potentially an opportunity to go with like a one, you know, one, one pass catcher skinny stack and come back on the other side with someone from Minnesota. Um, but yeah, definitely agree with you. This is like the best priced, um, you know, best priced game of these kind of top tier games we're talking about. Um, and, you know, I think Houston, at least so far, uh, has shown at times that they can be pretty condensed in their production. So, um, yeah, definitely intrigued by this spot. Yeah, but I'm not intrigued by the other side. I I think if you played, let's say you played Cousins, Thielen, Jefferson, David Johnson, or Fuller, like I just, I think that it's a much less probability that uh, the high, in, in, a, in a shootout, the higher scoring quarterback is going to be Watson, not Cousins. That, yeah. That I, I don't see in a game where Cousins has to throw for 300 yards. I think the I think Watson ends up outscoring him anyway. So like yeah. I'm more much I I I know I played Kirk Cousins at one percent down last week in that Titans Vikings game, but I think just based on the pricing here, like I having having Cooks as a one off run back at 4500 seems to not make sense. I'd be much more inclined to take the price savings, and if Cooks has a good game. Watson probably outscores Cousins, so why aren't I just playing Cousins? And then I could just use Cook and Thielen as the runbacks in those stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, how about, how about let's go let's go to a dome game, uh, not not the Superdome. Saints Lions fifty four total. Uh, obviously, we don't know the if Michael Thomas is going to play. He's what? He's seventy six hundred on on DraftKings. Uh, if he's if he's a hundred percent, like yeah. seventy six hundred is uh, uh, two thousand underpriced. Uh, Kamara's eight thousand. If, if Thomas doesn't play, he's two thousand underpriced. Uh, Kamara will be chalk. He may be the highest on player on the slate if, if Thomas doesn't play. Even if Thomas does play. Here's the problem with the Saints. I'm not going to mention the problem being Breeze has a noodle on. Okay, I'm not going to mention that. Uh, how do you stack the Saints? Because outside of Kamara, like Sanders doesn't seem to get enough work. Traquan Smith doesn't have like a high A dot or anything. They spread it around. Cook could catch a ball. They could. They have tight ends. They have Taysom Hill. They got a whole bunch of stuff going on. If Breeze is going to have a 300 yard game. It's going to support more than just Kamara. It's someone else is going to have to do well because Breeze's A dot the the tar is low, so like it's going to be yak. It's going to be a lot of yards after the catch. So Breeze is not going to be popular. Kamara is. You could play them both together. I mean, if Kamara gets twelve receptions, I mean Breeze gets points for that. Uh, But then on the other side of the game, you have Stafford. Jones is down to 4,900. 
Galladay is under 6K. You still have Hawkinson there. Uh, do you see a case where in this game, it's while the Saints have a more likely to being the highest scoring team, the correlation of the stack doesn't fit together as well with the price and that it's maybe more fruitful to play the Lions as the stack and then use Kamara or if Thomas plays Thomas as the one run back. Because on a, on a slate with this many high totals, I just can't see I just can't see Breeze being the highest scoring quarterback. Yeah, I mean, the Saints, like their offense, just both in the way that Breeze passes the ball and kind of the distribution of throws, like it just really disproportionately benefits the Saints receivers, uh, you know, relative to the benefit it provides Breeze. Like if Kamara goes 10 catches, you know, 90 yards, that's like a great game for him. But like that doesn't really help out Breeze that much unless, you know, like two of those catches are touchdowns and somehow, you know, Breeze puts up other, you know, yardage to, like you said, like other players. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, Breeze is, you know, cheap, um, but I just, yeah, I don't really see how he's going to be able to, like, I guess the way in which he puts up a massive game is, is almost kind of like the Watson uh, Cousins thing. You know, if, if Breeze gets to 300 yards you know there there you know must be like a ton of production on the Detroit side where you know Galladay catches a long ball um or, you know Jones puts up multiple touchdowns or or something like that you know Hawkinson catches two touchdowns kind of thing um I mean yeah I, I think that seems sensible to me um you know I I do think Kamara is in a great spot and um you know figures to be a, a quite strong play but uh you know, his, his like ceiling game isn't like, it doesn't, you know, a Kamara ceiling game doesn't really imply a breeze ceiling game the way like a Galladay ceiling game, you know, is more likely to imply a Stafford ceiling game. Um, right. It's more likely that, that it's more likely that Kamara ceiling is almost more correlative to the saints being behind. If anything, yeah. And with them being behind, Breeze doesn't hit 300 yards. Yeah. Like I, I see a case where if Kamara has a big game or the Saints uh, skill position players have a good game, Stafford has more yards thrown than Breeze. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that seems super likely. Okay. Uh, Seattle, Miami, 54 total. This game is going to be popular because if, if, if I had to pick a chalk game, it's going to be this. Uh, because of the total, the Seahawks have a 30.25 implied total. Uh, we could, you know, who it's who it is. It's Russ, it's Russell Wilson, it's Tyler Lockett, it's DK Metcalf. Uh, we got Carson may play, Hyde was limited. Uh, we don't know what's going on with their backfield. Uh, obviously, we have Fitz Magic on the other side who. Tends to get into shootouts also. If they're playing, if the Dolphins are playing from behind, Fitz, Fitzpatrick has no problem chucking the ball up 50 times. Uh, you got Parker on that side. You got Preston Williams, Gazicki. You got a little bit more pieces on the Miami side than you do on the Seattle side. But, uh, and you've said multiple times that Lockett and Metcalf are actually correlative to each other, ceiling-wise, which we don't see that often with receivers that are that high price. Cause now the prices are coming up. 
They were 66 and 6,500 last week. Now they're moving up a couple of hundred. Uh, I'm most likely, uh, I, I said this last week, Stu, most likely having no Seahawks stacks. Uh, only because of the ownership. I mean, I'm taking a look at early ownership and Lockett 15%, Metcalf 13%, Russell Wilson is the highest owned quarterback. Obviously, in GPP, uh, those will correlate with one another. Like, it's not that, like 13% Lockett is not with the, thir- the 50% Metcalf. Like, they're probably together. Most of that is overlap. Yeah. So, like, the combination, that stack combination, since it's so obvious, because at least with the Cowboys, you can make different variations that won't be, you know, some people will have Cooper, some people will have Gallup, some people will have Lamb. They'll be kind of mixed around. Uh, I, compared to the ownership and the price, I'm less, if, see, the problem is with this, I would normally say, if I wanted to stack this game, why don't I take Fitzpatrick? Why don't I take Fitzpatrick, Parker, and Gazicki uh, or something, and then run it back with Lockett? But the problem is, and I think that you've shown this before, that if this if if this game shoot like the only way Fitzpatrick gets to be in a shootout is if Russell Wilson is thrown for four plus touchdowns anyway, yeah. and you might as well play the Seattle side. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about you know trying to find kind of nice one offs that you know are part of games that we want you know pieces of. It does seem like a kind of tall task to figure that out with Seattle because it's like okay, if we want, you know, a one-off of Lockett and that succeeds as a one-off, like, you know, if Lockett hits a ceiling game, it's probably because, you know, Russ is also achieving a ceiling game. And because of the correlation that we've seen between Metcalf and Lockett, you know, there's reason to be concerned that like, you know, if, if Lockett blows up, uh, you know, that just like all the other, the other two guys are also going to blow up. And in that case, like having just one of them, you know, really isn't, going to help you leapfrog you know the 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 Ross the lineups that have all three um but you know with that correlation like if Lockett has a you know if Russ has a terrible game you know really all two of the you know the entire like stack is going to you know they kind of like the, the stack either you know rises to the top together or sinks to the bottom together it, you know and and at that price point like you know it's a very, it's a very heavy stack that, um, you know, if it, if it gets there, like it did last week, you know, great, you have all the money, but you know, if, 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 you know, if it, if it falls apart, you know, there, it's likely that they're really all three are just going to fall apart in a way that prevents, you know, any person who has any lineup that has the three pieces, uh, just totally prevents them from, from doing anything. So, um, and also, and also it's an ownership thing. So like, I take a look, I never like, I usually don't like playing expensive stacks for that reason that like they all have to, everything has to be perfect that they all have to get there because they, they're higher salary that I take a look at the difference between Seattle and Kansas city and go, would it be better to play 15% on Wilson, 15% on Lockett, 15% on Metcalf, or do I play 8% on Mahomes and 12% on Kelsey and 4% on Tyreek Hill or something like that, that yes, the Seattle stack is more correlative. I get it. There are more pieces. You know, Watkins could get a touchdown. Uh, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, you know, gets in the mix. So it's, it's not as straightforward, 
But in comparison to the ownership, I think the more interesting thing, only because I've heard it uh, around the industry, talking about Fitzpatrick, the correlation between a Fitzpatrick Dolphin stack ceiling game, to me, means that Russell Wilson has outscored him. Like, to me, uh, the I don't see Seattle, the, them putting up enough points where Dolphins are just chucking the ball, where it came on three Carlos Hyde touchdowns. Like, mm. the game would be too slow at that point. Like, the game would already be in the fourth quarter. Like, I'm more interested, depending on the the uh, status of their their backfield, like, if Carson's going to play, I don't want any of them, probably. If he's limited and then he's meant to share. But, like, Carlos Hyde, no one wants to play him. It, it's the type of thing that in, in normal DFS, oh, Carson's down. Who's his, who's his replacement? He's 20% owned. Hyde is being projected as under 5% owned. Or Travis Homer or something like that. That getting leverage off of the Seattle stacks by playing the running back as a one-off, I seem more likely to do that. But I think that the, what I'm trying to parse together is that is it a mistake to play this game as a Fitzpatrick stack? Because to hit the ceiling, it's most likely that Seattle has put up four or five touchdowns and, and it's all condensed through three guys that, it'll, that if Fitzpatrick has 30 points and Parker has, 30, has 25 points and Gazeki has 20 points, yeah, they're a little bit cheaper. But the, the Seahawks stack has just blown everyone out of the water at that point. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that there's there's been a lot of hype around kind of Fitzpatrick as a, you know, pusher of, you know, opposition stack. I mean, I, I'm just like pulling it up right now and looking at Fitzpatrick. So, I'm, you know, in our, in our app, we have like these two player sets. So I'm looking at <clears throat> Fitzpatrick and I just like typed in Stafford since he's kind of the guy we just recently discussed looking at those two guys correlation with the production of the cumulative production, fantasy production of their opposing offenses. And I mean, Fitzpatrick in Miami, you know, point point one eight, like, isn't, I think super, not super high for kind of quarterbacks correlation with opponent in Tampa. He, uh, at least in the 2018 season only had 0.23, not super high. I mean, Stafford back to 2018 has had a correlation with cumulative opposing offense production of 0.38. Like, um, I don't know. I, I think back to that uh, Cincinnati Miami game last year, where it was like Fitzpatrick and Dalton just going against each other like crazy. But I mean, <clears throat> the data that I'm looking at would suggest that Fitzpatrick doesn't correlate as well with opposing offenses as maybe people believe. Um, well, they I, they just view him as a slinger. That the bad defense, they have to come back. They're down three touchdowns. And yeah. we've seen him throw up 450. It's all garbage time stuff. But they're not realizing that, like, yes, he's he's getting garbage time yardage. And maybe Devontae Parker gets a 100-yard game and a touchdown. But not realizing that, like, the opposing side has not has not succeeded in that case. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that must be what it is. Because, like, um, I, you know... It, it is weird. Like I have it kind of just racking, you know, my mind, like that makes sense. I definitely think of Fitzpatrick as a, you know, the, the losing quarterback in just a game shootout. But like, I mean, I'm looking at the data right now and that doesn't seem to be the case. So maybe, you know, maybe that is what, you know, you're describing is like there, the, his opposition. Yeah. You know, like runs the ball and kind of 
you know, uh, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I definitely- That's why I said it's weird to say yeah. I, because of leverage and because of, of, of how that car, those correlations don't seem to work out. I'm more interested in the rushing. I'm more interested in Hyde. I'm more interested in Miles Gaskin. You know, yeah. he's been getting 80 plus percent of the snaps. He's getting passes out of the backfield. He's 5K and, you know, not playing them together or anything, but maybe this game like goes under Seattle gets to a two touchdown lead. And so they start running the ball more and it's not a big enough lead for the Dolphins to start slinging it. So it's a lot of dump offs to Gaskin and stuff like that. He's been getting red zone touches that instead of stacking the game, I just, I just, I'll take not both of them in the same lineup, but I'll go, I'll, I'll take a shot on, on Hyde. I'll take a shot on Gaskin and that's leverage off of, because Fitzpatrick's going to be owned. He's going to be, it's, it's, He's not going to be 3% owned. He's going to be owned this slate. So Parker's going to be owned. Gazicki's going to be owned. So the natural leverage is just, just no one doesn't seem like anyone's playing the running backs. Yeah. Um, no, I, I like that Gaskin call. I, I thought I, I kind of enjoyed that Thursday night game last week. It really showcased two running backs. And now I think James, James Robinson's really, you know, he had a great game and kind of is getting that buzz, but um and Gaskin and Robinson were just like dominating their team's, uh, you know, opportunities. And uh, yeah, I, I like Gaskin a lot. Um, yeah. I think with this game, I mean, for me, what it comes down to is that there's really great correlation properties on the Seattle side, but unlike last week, they're not projected for as high of a total relative to the slate um, this week. And, you know, they're, they're very expensive. Um you know, I, I'm, I'm a little more intrigued by either going up or down kind of in that direction, you know, going up and I, sorry, I, I mean, I'm saying up or down in reference to, you know, implied total, um, you know, going up to Kansas city stack, which is a little less, you know, actually like, you know, one and a half thousand less, pers- less expensive, um, or, you know, going down in, you know, probability of kind of putting up the most points down to Houston where it's just like way cheaper. Um, just, just kind of my thoughts, but um, there, do, there do seem to be some flaws in kind of consideration of the Seattle side, uh, mostly for me around price and, um, and and ownership, like you talked about, is you know that's a cost in its own way. So um, that, that's why I like the next game. Okay, I, I I heard your list on top stacks; they're not coming in as high. Bills Raiders. This game opened at 49 and a half. It's now up to 52 and a half. It's a three point spread. I take a look at this game. Uh, we have rugs is out. Edwards is now out. Okay. I take a look at this game. Uh, John Brown may be out. Josh Allen is going to go overlooked again. It's going to be 5% owned. He could obviously get there in multiple ways. We got Stefan Diggs at 6,800. Gabriel Davis at 3,200. Uh, on the Raiders side, you got Jacobs, you got Waller, you got Renfro. That's pretty much it. I mean, I guess you, I guess you could throw an Aguilar. He's thirty five hundred if you want to take a shot. I just say for the price consideration and the total and how they correlate. Uh, I mean, we've seen when Josh Allen puts up a big game, like the other side has to come through. I mean, like I'm not playing Car on this in this game, and with Allen, I could play skinny stacks because Allen could rush for two touchdowns 
and he can, and maybe he doesn't support two receivers. But with John, if John Brown's out, the second receivers that he's going to have are going to be really cheap. So like Gabriel Davis doesn't have to do much to get there at 3,200. Diggs does, but I think Josh Jacobs is is going to be under 5% owned. Uh, I, I think you could play. I, I think you could, there's just, I could identify all the pieces. Most of them are cheaper. I can play skinny stacks with Allen. I could play him naked. Even I don't have to play Allen Diggs. I could play Allen with no one. I could play Allen, Allen, and, and I could play Renfro and Waller together because Allen is the higher scoring quarterback than Carr. Waller has a hundred yards on 13 receptions and a touchdown. Renfro, who else are they throwing the ball to? I take, I just take a look and like it's the Texans are going to be more popular. So I take a look at this and go, why can't it be the, why can't, why can't the, the, the bills and Raiders be that high scoring game? The only concern I have about players in this game is that the correlation of Josh Jacobs to a ceiling game on the other side, because he tends to be more of the workhorse where if Josh Jacobs has 30 touches, this game has probably gone under. So but he's going to be 5% owned. So do I play him and hope that he gets third down rolls and he's getting like seven targets out of the backfield? Because if, if I could go on that, I think I could play this whole stack as, as a ceiling game. It just, I'm trying to figure out whether or not Jacobs is a piece of that. Can I play Allen Jacobs Diggs? Or should I only be playing, can I play Allen Jacobs Diggs Waller? Or should I be removing Jacobs from any stack consideration? I wish I had like, uh, you know, I just was typing in Jacobs into our app and um, I'm seeing we have like a naming discrepancy where you know, we got the Raiders moving from Oakland to Las Vegas has messed up data operations in a not insignificant way. So I, I only have like three games of Jacobs versus opponent sample um, because of this transit, you know, naming uh team abbreviation transition. So I wish I had more of a concrete answer for you. I mean, I'm seeing so far in 2020, I guess that's what we can talk about, you know, in the three games of 2020, which I mean, considering three games for correlation purposes is pretty, pretty thin, but uh, you know, he has positive, he has positively correlated with opposing offenses. Um, you know, he has seen more of a role. Well, I know it was kind of widely talked about after week one, his, role in the passing game um not sure if that has has continued but um let's see yeah i mean he had 20 percent target share week one and then between eight and i mean 12 five week three 12 and a half percent so i mean yeah you, you know jacobs i think is in he's being used this year in, in a little more of a way that maybe is conducive to uh you know what you might consider positive correlation with, you know, opposing team scoring and kind of pace. Um, I probably, I mean, I do like, yeah, that Buffalo side, I probably would just be keying on Waller um, as the piece kind of opposite Allen and Diggs. And uh, yeah, I mean, Gabriel Davis, interesting call. If uh, you know, if Brown's out, he was pretty productive last week um, and seems to be a you know competent receiver and uh you know buffalo they're not you know it, again it kind of depends on where you consider to be this cliff of like what teams are inside the uh 
you know, kind of in very much in the mix for being, you know, a slate breaker. Buffalo is kind of like either just inside or just outside, depending on kind of where you determine that, uh, you know, that, that cliff to lie. Um, yeah, I mean, but Allen is, he's been awesome this year, you know, it gives you rushing upside. So, you know, considering just like a skinny stack of Allen digs, uh, you know, Waller bring back, I think is certainly in play. Um, you know, correlatively, Allen has correlated really well with his primary receivers in the past. Um, you know, Diggs, I think, has similar enough traits to, you know, 2019 John Brown. Um, not definitely not a carbon copy, but, you know, I think Diggs does a little, little more as far as a, uh, you know, rounded receiver. But, um, yeah, the opportunity could be there this weekend if, uh, if Brown's out for Diggs. Um, yeah, I think. In a strong spot. The next game, Chiefs Patriots. I have concerns about this game. Uh, from a stacking perspective, not concerns anything else. I mean, we're we're primarily on this show talking about GPP lineups and correlation. Uh, mm-hmm. the pieces on the Chiefs side are expensive. I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is is sixty four hundred. Tyreek Hill is under seven K. I mean, you, as as one offs, Kelsey. I could see I could see one offs. On that side, and then we have the Patriots with uh, you know Cam Newton. Then you got Edelman. You got Enkeel Harry, uh, Demir Bird. The production could spread around, and of course Cam could vulture production from the rest of his team by you know rushing. Uh, do you see a case correlation-wise where in a shootout that Cam is the higher scoring quarterback than Mahomes? Because like to me, if the Chiefs are putting up 30 points and the Patriots put up 24. It's Mahomes with 350 yards passing and four touchdowns. And I know mm. Cam has the rushing upside, but like, do you see playing a stack such as like Cam, Harry, Edelman, Hill, or Kelsey, you know, like that type of stack or playing the Mahomes, the three, one, the other way. And I, and then you, and then it's very expensive. Well, I mean, typically Hill plus Kelsey isn't a pairing that I like. They tend to have kind of negative correlation, and that's, I don't know, you can stomach that. Watkins. We have Watkins at 4,400. Right. So I, I think, like, if you were going the Kansas City side, you, you know, you might be inclined to go. But, like, Watkins negatively correlates with, with everyone. With everyone, yeah. Like, when he has a big game, it's no one. So, like, uh, you know, I think maybe going like Hill, I mean, Hardman had a, had a pretty good role, uh, last couple weeks, maybe going there. My concern with the new England side is they just have like a low total. I, I kind of have a, I mean, they're, they're priced well, but I have a hard time like seeing them really putting up enough points to support a full on stack. I mean, I think, I guess what the way Cam beats Mahomes is if he's able to run in, you know, multiple touchdowns, right? And, and that'll that'll vulture production from the rest of the team. That doesn't seem, you know, correlative with like that outcome just doesn't work well for the pieces you would want as part of a New England stack, I guess. Um yeah, I I I don't know. I'm, I'm personally not too interested on in, in the New England side. Um, you know, maybe going something skinny like Mahomes, Hill, and either Edelman, Harry, or you know, Bird. Uh, 
to me makes a little more sense that uh, like, yeah, I don't know. The, the Kansas city guys just, it, it's not a super correlative receiving core that makes it difficult or I guess not difficult, but just uncomfortable to, you know, include many pieces uh, in that receiving core. Um, right. Then- I'm more likely, more likely in this game to take like Watkins, Kelsey and Hill as one-offs. Mm-hmm. And then just Mahomes is not the highest scoring quarterback. So I don't really care. Like just, can I get 40? Can I get, uh, can Watkins have a uh, six for 80 with a touchdown? I'm good at 4,400. Can Tyreek Hill have seven for 150 and two touchdowns, which he's done against the Patriots. Then I'm good. Kelsey tight end position is scarce. So if Kelsey has a hundred yard game and a touchdown, he could easily just be the highest scoring tight end. And I'm just, I'm just hoping that Mahomes doesn't have 400 yards passing in the process. Yeah. And like the same could be said for the new England side. Like I think Harry, you know, bird at men price, like, you know, these are guys that, um, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in like stacking up, uh, but could be like pieces to pull, uh, you know, as one-offs for other, other stacked lineups. Okay. Next game. We have uh, two more games to talk about, and then we'll t- throw the rest in uh, Arizona, Carolina. Would I, would I surprise you? I know you don't look at a lot of content and you don't look at uh, ownership projections, maybe this, this early. Uh, mm-hmm. Would I, would I, would I, would you find it odd that the popular side of this game is Carolina? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, Kyler's been awesome this year. Hopkins has been highly productive. Drake has, you know, let down, but, you know, projected well, I think like definitely the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, so I found that a little surprising. Um, well, Carolina has a 20, nearly a 24 implied total. It's a 51 overall total. It's a three and a half point spread. The, the issue it's, it's not people liking the Panthers. It's the people liking the prices. So like Kyler's priced up now enough he's 7k uh hopkins is 8500 he's the highest price wide receiver on the slate they're obviously correlative drake didn't move up in price he's 6k but on the carolina side we have mike davis uh dj moore and robbie anderson all under 6k and based on you know most projections that you take a look at they mike davis is essentially playing as christian mccaffrey now in this past game so 5700 if he's going to touch the ball 20 times, which includes like eight targets, he's going to be popular. DJ Moore, tons of air yards, just not really bringing them down. I mean, he he was a he's a couple of plays away from possibly being 40% owned on this slate because he's underpriced. But that's the reason why he's underpriced because one missed touchdown, a 40-yard catch, the difference between a bonus, you know, that, that touchdown variance and bonus variance. You know, it has moved his price down to 5,800. Robbie Anderson has actually seen consistent targets. Uh, it makes, from a price perspective, we may see not necessarily the Panthers as a stack, although I could see playing Bridgewater, you know, playing Brid- doing Bridgewater, Anderson. You could play Bridgewater and you can play Davis with them also if you want, uh, mm-hmm. playing three on that side and then just playing Hopkins or Drake on the other side. But you could also see Murray plus Hopkins and then play. DJ Moore on the other side also. Uh, but I mean, the Panthers are priced in a similar way stack-wise as the Texans are, that we talked about before. I just think that Watson has a much more likelihood of being the highest scoring quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, sure. Um, no, that makes sense. I mean, I'm just looking at our initial projections and we're 
projecting like Davis quite favorably this week. I think we were the same last week. Like, you know, I, well, I don't know. I, I don't study ownership that, that closely, but you know, it wouldn't be surprised me if he's a popular guy. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think the, like the field definitely wise, you know, is wisened up to that, you know, Arizona's like total is not like where it was last week. I mean, we wouldn't expect to see like similar ownership on them. No, no, this- the Arizona side is going to be lower owned. My Kyler's yeah. not going to be highly owned. Hopkins is not going to be highly owned. I mean, they'll be owned. Drake will be 15%. I mean, well, they'll get owned just as a stack. Like last, last week, I mean, we saw 30% on all three of their main players. And like, that's just absurd. We're not going to see that here. It's going to be on the Carolina side. Hmm. Not as really as a stack. It just, I, I see, if you're going to correlate, I see like a lot of Hopkins, DJ Moore lineups, Mike Davis, Hopkins, Drake, Robbie Anderson, like the one, one types, or maybe people go, I mean, maybe this is the time Kyler has been chalk on all the slates we played so far. People are going to either go up to Russ. They're going to go and they're going to play Watson underneath. They're going to play a cheap Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe, maybe this is kind of weird to say, I don't think I'm going to do it. Maybe this is naked Murray week. Maybe you don't, maybe you, maybe you play Murray as the quarterback and then you play Davis and Moore on the other side as one, cause that's what you do with like Lamar, right? You don't, you could play Lamar Jackson as a, as a, as a naked quarterback. He gets three touchdowns. Maybe, maybe that's what you do for, no one's going to do. I mean, I'll, I'm looking at the ownership and who's going to do that. Maybe you. <laughs> I don't know. It's very hard. I rarely ever play naked quarterbacks. I usually, usually will pair them up with at least one receiver. Yeah. Um, and the one receiver I'd pair them up with is the most expensive receiver. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a fairly expensive stack relative to just how likely they are to top the slate, you know, like in previous weeks, I think they were, you know, live to you know score the most points on Sunday and, I mean, obviously they have a shot, but it's, you know, seems less likely this week than in prior weeks. And, you know, their price, it's not like they're any cheaper uh, this week, even though, you know, they're just other, there's so many other kind of competitors to, to be, you know, a slate breaking, you know, team. So um, I don't know, for me, like I, I would be more inclined to go up a little bit um, up in terms of like, so I guess technically down in price, but pretty much like two teams that I'm kind of looking at around Arizona in terms of probability of scoring those points are Buffalo and, you know, Cincinnati is less likely than Arizona, but also, you know, 2000 or like, you know, much less uh, expensive. Um, yeah. I think probably just interested in pieces like Davis, uh, you know, DJ Moore has, you know, gotten a lot of, like you said, air yards. And I think, you know, he's got, the opportunity to you know put up a big score but yeah i mean like you said like bridgewater as a quarterback doesn't really intrigue me that much you know there are i think better options from uh you know that position um seems to me more like a, a single piece type game than a uh you know stack it up kind of game last game i wanted to talk about in full is uh jacksonville cincinnati because you brought it up before I know he is. You're smiling. This is, um, I'm I'm gonna burst your bubble. Yeah. Okay. This uh, this game uh, started at 44 and a half. It's now up to 49. 
Uh, the Bengals have a 26 implied total. Jacksonville, 23. Uh, Mixon is going to be f- fairly popular. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, I can. I think James Robinson, I mean, you can play him I, at 6,500. I think there's just so many options between 5,500 and 6,500 that Robinson is not like a, eh, you, I mean, you can play him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the burst your bubble part of this is uh, even if Shark doesn't play for the Jaguars, uh, feel free to tell me how to stack this game because it seems like they uh, both teams could throw to like five different guys. Like the production could be spread out to who knows who. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. I, I, I just, I kind of like it cause we're just projecting Burrow quite favorably. Um, and Burrow you know, Boyd Higgins, is that what we're doing? Um, I don't know. I haven't really, and like I'm looking at our projections and we don't have super high grades on, uh, any of the Cincinnati receivers. So it does, you know, I, you're, you're probably, you know, giving me the truth that I haven't done kind of the full, the full research on, but, um, right. But you understand what I'm saying that like, I like the game. Like, I understand why you like the game, mm-hmm. but like, if you tell me it's like, Oh, I'm going to play burrow. And like, he could throw to five different people. Mixon could get vulture a touchdown Jacksonville. You have LaVisca Chenault, you have Cole, you have, uh, Eifert, you got, you got that. No one stands that. No one has a target share really on either team that stands out as like alpha receivers. So like, yes, the game could go over. This game could be, you know, 34, 28 and literally no one gets there because it's like all different people. We're, we're not AJ green believers. Uh, Oh, I was an AJ green believer last week. Maybe I'm not, maybe not anymore. Yeah. Um, Oh, it's true. I mean, God damn. I'm, Sorry, um, I'm looking. I'm looking. Well, you, you, I curse all the time. Go for it. <laughs> um, the show is called Asa, so why not? Yeah. How did? Oh gosh. I mean, AJ Green is a corpse. Don't worry about him. I, I'm. I I didn't pay that a close attention to Philly Cincinnati last week. Um, how did Green? In the first two weeks, I mean, his air yard share, 45 and 42%. Week three, 11.5%. No, because Burrow learned that you yeah. didn't see the first week. He just started jamming. He basically just uh, just had, you know, tunnel vision towards A.J. Green. Yeah. He just started jamming. Just wherever he was, he jammed him in. And it's not like A.J. Green is good anymore to, like, get these narrow receptions. And yeah, that's how he got all his air. I mean, he's like Mike Williams. Like most of his air yards are uncatchable passes. So like in the data, it looks good. But then once Burrow found out that, oh, I could throw to Boyd and Higgins and 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 multiple Auden Tate was on the field, that he could spread it around, that like he didn't have to force stuff into AJ Green. And that's where that's AJ Green just became one of the Bengals receivers. Is not anything special. I think Boyd is the more likely like alpha receiver in that group. So like, if I do stack and it's going to be burrow Boyd, and then so I could, you could skinny stack that only because I just think this production gets, if anyone's going to hit a hundred yards and a touchdown, it's going to be Boyd. Yeah. And then AJ green is probably still overpriced. Higgins got his price uh, improved to, to 4,500. Like you could see a fullback scoring in this game. You could see like if burrow is the highest scoring quarterback, 
it's quite possible that no more than one of his wide receivers is necessary because of how they spread the ball around. And you could say the same with Jacksonville as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, God, I didn't realize AJ Green was so not involved last week. Um, that's great. He was involved. He stood there and hopefully he didn't have to jump for anything. No, I'm looking at, I mean, he, his, he recorded the most snaps uh, he has all year, but I mean, set just like massive season lows and target and air yard share as where, uh, you know, Boyd's, you know, was on the field for fewer snaps, but I mean, just him and Higgins, I mean, just dominated. No. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know, can, yeah, I guess. So yeah. Green does appear to be kind of out of the picture, but maybe, maybe Boyd and or Higgins. Um, I know there was some, I think bullishness around Drew Sample last week and he did a whole lot of nothing. Um, He's a blocking tight end. I think people don't realize that when things happen in games, like I think you could take advantage of this in GPP's recency bias, like mm-hmm. uh, with KJ Hamler. I mean, he had, he had an okay game last week that in the middle, I don't want to speak like an NFL coach because I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm expert in football. I'm just using logic. If an injury happens mid game, like they've spent the entire week on a game plan, right? To attack this team, the playbook, what plays they're planning on using. And one of your guys goes down. This new guy is going to come in. Most likely, he's just going to be like, what we planned on, you fill that role. Yeah. So like Drew Sample was playing as CJ Uzuma. And then now that they have a week to game plan, Drew Sample will go back to being the blocking tight end that he is. Go back to Drew Sample. Right, right. That's a, So people are like, oh, Drew Sample is going to have a big role. No, they're just going to not plan for having a passing tight end. And yeah, do you take a shot in a stack? Sure, I get, I get it. I played some Drew Sample. But I think taking those one-game samples, no pun intended, like think in terms of, well, Cortland Sutton went down and KJ Hamlin was just thrown out there. So he's running Cortland Sutton's routes. Yeah. And that's why he got eight targets because they don't have time to reconfigure in what they were planning on doing. And then the next week comes down and Hamlin is the third receiver and Tim Patrick's getting more targets because – why not? Why wouldn't he? Yep. So one game we didn't touch on, I think you mentioned briefly and the concerns with it are glaring. It's at, you know, Los Angeles is 13 point favorites. Um, you could say the same for the Ravens. I know we didn't mention the Ravens cause they're 13 point favorites. They both have nearly 30 implied totals. How do you, st- how, how do you stack these with, I mean, like, my concern, my concern with the Rams, like my concern with both teams, the Rams and the Ravens, mm-hmm. they're run first teams. Yeah, right, right, right. That so, makes- like, what am what golf? How am I double stat? How am I stat? What? Either I'm playing a running back, I'm playing a one receiver. I mean, I just, I mean, unless unless obviously unless Washington or New York keep this competitive, like I just don't see how the game stack. What what's the game stack? What wins? Yeah. Um... I guess, I mean, on the Washington side, you would need McLaurin to McLaurin or like Logan Thomas has been serviceable, um, but probably McLaurin. You need McLaurin to have a big game somehow. Uh, Yeah, New York side. I mean, New York has receiving weapons. Like, you know, I I, I like Ingram. Um, Not, I'm not saying for DFS purposes, but like he's a guy who can, you know, make plays and kind of, do stuff for his offense 
but yeah, I mean, the, the, the note about them being run first teams is, is kind of the concern. Um, I mean, I, I just, you know, I just, I have them in my notes, you know, Los Angeles, uh, you know, we're having a third most likely team to, to top the slate. Uh, the pieces are fairly reasonably priced, you know, golf cup woods. Um, but yeah, you would, you would need in both those games, I guess the opposition to yeah force them out of what they're going to try to do, which is run the ball. Um, I mean, so do you have between those two games, is there any one that you think is more likely than the other or has kind of more paths to, you know, bucking the huge spread and actually, you know, being kind of a closer game and maybe forcing the teams that we would want to play, uh, you know, into a more fantasy friendly, you know, uh, kind of offensive pace and strategy. I think for the price, the Giants Rams, yeah. I think, I think the Ravens, cause it's hard. Lamar, like it's just hard. Like I, I'm, I was, I'm never a big, big stacking fan with Lamar with Brown or Andrews. Cause now they're priced up. They're six K guys. And yep. then the Washington Haskins is throwing the ball. I, I think it's more likely that if uh, the Giants actually make this competitive, like the Rams have no problem passing the ball. It's just mm-hmm. like if they're up, they're gonna just, it's going to be Henderson and Brown. It's going to be whatever. But I'm doesn't mean I'm playing golf stacks. I think I'm more likely to play this game as one ones as play. You know what Engram Tate or Slayton on one side, and then Woods or Cup on the other, and that's it. Like that, mm-hmm. like one, one. Uh, but I mean, if you want the prices, the pricing is, if you think the giants, if if you think the giants keep up in this game and this goes over, I'm much more interested in Daniel Jones than I am Jared Goff. Yeah. That's uh yeah, it's interesting. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but yeah. I'm just telling, because this is what, look at this slate. We're talking about a game that we don't think is like as, uh, and it's a 48 and a half total. On other slates, that would be like the third highest total game on the slate. On this slate, it's the eighth highest total. So that's what that's I have to factor that in. It's not a matter of well, well the Rams have a 30.75 implied total. But like that isn't special on the slate anymore. I have so many that are close to that. That why am I taking a run first team uh at home with a 13 point favorite when it's not it's not I have other, I could be contrarian with like seven other games. I mean, that, that's why, like, even looking down, like, this is not Colts, Bears, Chargers, Bucks. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, you just get cut off. I mean, I could see if you wanted to play David Montgomery at a, under 6K, sure. I could see if uh, Godwin's out, you take a shot on Evans or a shot on Keenan Allen as a one off, but like, if those stacks win, then 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 screw it. I mean that because those games have ten set seven to ten point lower totals, and it's not like we have ten of those games and then two two high total games. So it's like maybe one of those, but these two games have to beat out like all of the other seven games, and I just think the likelihood of that is much lower than I mean. Yes, they could beat out one of the high total games, but not all seven of them. Yeah. Um, no, with some of these teams you're mentioning, I mean, like Chicago, you know, less than Chicago Chargers, uh, you know, less less than one percent chance of topping the slate. You know, some of these other teams, Indianapolis, um, you know, Tampa Bay is at like just under three percent. But 
yeah, I mean, just teams that, you know, it would take, you know, a real, I think, unusual set of circumstances, both in the games and also in the, in, in, in like the games that pertain to the team, as well as, you know, the whole kind of slate of games that it just, just seems super unlikely that, um, you know, these, these games are, you know, in contention from a stacking standpoint, you know, like you mentioned, there are some kind of single pieces, but um, yeah. So we know what's going to happen week four. <laughs> Seahawks, 48 points. Wilson Lockett Metcalf get there again, and I have none of it. And I'll be back on going. But there's no games here. There's no game. There's no Titans-Vikings games. Like, I understand why the totals are these this high in these, these games. So, like, I, I, that's why, like, there's a, nothing stands out. I don't have, like, a game that I'm looking at that I may have to, I, I, I may have a very diversified player pool. Yeah, I was going to ask. So in slates like this, would you say that, you know, like your exposures on players are pretty low? Is that something you try to kind of force uh, yourself or more just the way that, you know, you build lineups, it kind of turns out that way? Um, are there any positions that, you know, you are willing to take on kind of more condensed uh, player pool uh, in in a slate like this versus positions where you want way more diversity. Um, just curious to kind of hear your closing thoughts on something like that. Well, I mean, I wanted to bring it up before because uh, Brandon mentioned it in the first week and uh, Eric Bimefor, uh tweeted about it. And I, I had a little discussion with him uh, that the the NFL has changed enough in the past three to five years. Uh, and most people that are playing DFS have played DFS three to five years ago. I'm leaning more towards the side. It used to be that running back flex was the way to go, right? It, it, that was, you know, three, if you can play three uh, bell cow running backs, like you're going to get the points and then take a stack and you're good, right? Mm -hmm. I think looking at, and I've looked at some of the data, but I mean, it's still anecdotal and small sample size, uh, that lower priced running backs because of the NFL and most teams playing in running back by committee, most teams, even if they don't have a running back by committee, the lead back doesn't get more than 65% of the snaps uh, that they play series based or they have, you know, a running backs in for three plays and then another running backs in for two plays that the variance of, of red zone work is much higher at running back than it used to be. It used to be that when they get inside the 10, like that's the running back that's going to be in. And now a lot of times it's like whoever happens to be on the field is going to be, you know, carrying the ball inside, inside the 10 and the five that the cheaper running backs have more, have more probability of like in a GPP, you want to score like 20 plus points from every spot in your lineup. Mm -hmm. We used to think in terms of 4k wide receivers being boomer bust guys, get a high speed guy that could catch three passes and get one 70 yard touchdown and get yeah. the bonus and a touchdown. I think there are more, it's more likely that a cheap running back, puts up a score similar to a 7K running back than a 4K wide receiver puts up a similar score to a 7K wide receiver. So I 
it sounds weird to say that like on this slate, if I go and, and look at all of the, all the running backs on the slate. So we have like Kamara and Elliot at like 8K that it's more likely. I'm not saying that it's likely. I'm just saying that it's more likely. Like it's mm-hmm. still low probability that someone like Miles Gaskin or David Montgomery or Adrian Peterson or like someone, Latavius, maybe not Murray, puts up a score equal to what Kamara and Elliott do. Then mm-hmm. uh, someone like... Uh, Danny Amendola putting up the same type of score that Tyler Lockett does. Got it. That I'd be more likely to build lineups that go contrarian cheap at running back and then just jam in four, six K wide receivers and get, try to get 20 plus 20 plus 20 plus 20 plus, And then just hope Jeff Wilson gets two, two. I mean, we saw it last week with bar with Burkhead and Wilson and Davis, mm-hmm. like, they they beat the they beat Sanders they beat all the chalk running backs. Yeah. I think that's more likely to happen with running backs than it is with wide receivers in the day, this day and age in the NFL. So it seems like, you know, correct me if any of this is wrong, but like the historically the recommended kind of you know I'm I'm thinking about like, you know, what's kind of the maximum exposure you're willing to allow at a position how and that's kind of inversely related to the the you know, width, I guess, of your player pool or, or depth, uh, you know, however, whatever, spatially you want to think about it. Um, historically, it seems like, you know, the pres- prescription has been, you know, keep it tight at running back and allow, you know, the running backs you like to get up, you know, pretty high in exposure and then be, you know, highly variable at receiver and just kind of cycle guys in, you know, mixing and matching, but, you know, keep exposure limits pretty low coerce kind of that that wide player pool receiver you're it sounds like maybe the recommendation might be now to actually flip that and be open to being you know tight and kind of over exposed or heavily underexposed to receiver on the guys you like and don't like and be actually pretty you know restrictive in terms of exposure limits to coerce that kind of wide player pool running back is that no, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm instead of me trying, I'm I'm leaning more towards instead of trying to take. If I have like a lot of Kamara and Elliott, I'm gonna have to need. I'm gonna need a lot of cheap receivers. Okay. And it's like the old school GPP method is we'll cycle through, t- 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 put eight in your pool, and cycle through, and hopefully find the one that hits. I think I'm more likely to have wider exposure at running back, and then just. Like every, like, I'm, I'll just look at the wide receiver pool right now. Instead of having uh, like 5% Golden Tate and 5% Curtis Samuel and 5% Danny Amendola and 5% Emmanuel Sanders, like I'm much more likely to just let, let's take a look at the top end and go, I'm going to have 20% Hopkins, 20% Lockett, 20% Hill, 20%, like I'm basically just jamming in all the 6K and above, like I'll have 10% cup. I'll like, and the cheap wide receivers, I barely, the, the only time I have the cheap receivers are in stacks. So I barely have any cheaper, but the cheap running backs are the one-offs. They, those are the ones that kind of get filtered in. So I have eight lineups with David Montgomery and I have six lineups with, with Jeff Wilson. He's not on the slate, but I mean, Adrian Peterson in two lineups for the Lions. Like, I just think it's more likely that AP goes for a hundred yards and a touchdown because they just force feed him the ball. The It could happen. He's 2% owned and he beats out 
you know, the Kenyon Drake, who's going to be eight times more owned because Drake just like he gets 20 carries, but it's 75 yards and no receptions and no touchdowns. So like I'll save 2K there and then just make sure that I have as many high, high ceiling wide receivers in my lineup. Got it. Cool. No, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it makes sense logically from how football teams are playing in the NFL, where we don't have half the league playing guys that are playing 80 plus percent snaps at running back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, at least in my experience last week, you certainly were right. I had, you know, high exposure and pretty tight at running back and two guys I had a lot of were Zeke and Sanders and that, uh, yeah, did not go well. Um, well, ho- well, hopefully it goes well this week. Yeah. For week hope. four. Uh, if, 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 if you'd like to, uh, contact Stewart to start, start Gibson on Twitter. <laughs> start. I'm assuming cause someone else had Stewart cause it, it seems like a name that, I mean, people have Jordan Cooper, so I couldn't use that on Twitter. Yeah, no, it, it's that, and it's uh, I had you know some family members have called me that over the years because they had trouble pronouncing my name. Start. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> really it's called Stewart. How how hard is it to pronounce Stewart? Yeah, I mean, kids have kids have trouble with pronunciation. You know, I don't okay. know. Um, but yes, yeah, Stuart Gibson was taken, uh, unfortunately. So. Uh, well, you can find him there. You can find me at Blender HD on Twitter. You can also find me in the premium Discord on Roto Grinders, which you would get with a premium subscription. I'm in there all the time. I'm into the Blitz chat, the Bat chat, the NFL chat, any chat. You could always you could always find me there. Uh, subscribe to to Roto Grinders Premium. You get that. That's part of your subscription, and you get five dollars off a core four premium membership to Roto Grinders, NFL, M- MLB, NBA, PGA. Uh, tons of content with tons of premium shows for NFL, uh, tons of uh, ownership projections, all, all lineup HQ access. You get everything. Uh, so use the, use the link in the description below in this video, rotogrinders.com slash media slash ASA. So this has been uh, the, the advanced sports analytics show for week four on rotogrinders.com.